0: Welcome to the SLP Stress Management Podcast, the place to manage your stress, reduce burnout, and find more balance in your life. In today's episode, I am so excited to have the founders of SLP Toolkit here, Lisa Kathman and Sarah Bevier. So welcome. I'm so excited to have you both on today. Thank
1: you for being here. Can we just pause for a round of applause really quick? Yay! Note too that you have a very lovely podcast voice. You do. I really like it. Oh, thank you.
2: <laughs> yeah. We had the privilege of recording um a podcast with you. And after we had finished it, Lisa and I both were like why do we feel so calm and relaxed <laughs> and like rejuvenated? And there is, there's something about like just your overall energy that is so perfect for the the podcast that you host. And so thank you for having us. We're really excited to be here.
0: Oh, thank you guys. That's really funny. That is not the first time that I have heard that. <laughs> I It's it's one of those like really weird things that um, I hear like frequently, but randomly. But um but, like, frequently enough that I'm always, like, that's just weird because it is not how I feel about my voice yeah. at all. Like, growing up, it was kind of one of those things where I, like, I would not speak publicly because I was, like, I don't know my voice. And, um, but, yeah, when people started saying that to me, I was, like, yeah, you're... I don't know what you're hearing but that is yeah. not
2: <laughs> I know we never hear ourselves the way that that you know other people do it's all perception but no there is you've got great energy and this is a topic near and dear to our hearts um and so we're really excited that we are able to do this with you
0: yeah i'm really i'm really excited because i think um you know the the way i come at it is like looking at where i've been stressed and being an slp and You know, the mindfulness approach and using like yoga and all of these things. And you guys are working with managing stress for SLPs, but kind of from like the opposite end of things. Like you are helping them, like, okay, here are some things to help you, like, really put your day together or not have to stress so much about the things that are stressing you out. Um, The The things that. that
1: you put a little time in, then it will save you some stress and and anxiety on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So but what I'm really curious about, um, because I just love this and hearing about this with everyone, but is kind of like what is your like where did this come from? What was kind of the thing that maybe led you to this? Like was it while you were SLPs? Is this something you think you always were kind of interested in, or how did how did you get here?
2: I think a couple of different reasons. First and foremost, um, I, oh, I struggled with my confidence as an SLP, always kind of thinking I was the one who like, missed the important stuff in grad school um, and that I was the only one who didn't know certain things. And, and I just, I knew where all my weaknesses were. But then on the other flip side of that too, I wanted to quit my job like a thousand times, just the overall stress and burden of it. So the insecurity mixed with the overwhelm And that I went into this profession knowing that it was totally my calling, that there's nothing more I wanted in the world than to help support students, specifically in the area of communication, um, because it's just one of my favorite things in the world to do is talk. Um, And so to know I'm going into this field with such passion and just a few years into it, I'm done. Like I, I am trying to figure out if I should start. A crafting blog so you know that was kind of my perception and then i i worked in the same district as lisa and so we met and started talking about some so solutions um, and and that we had had separately actually on our own um, and then they kind of just came together
1: yeah and i think for for me one of the things in that evolved in my career is that idea of um in the beginning i moved around a lot so I was in different roles as an SLP and I was in different settings and um, different even parts of the country. I worked in the Caribbean, I worked in Tennessee, I worked in California, and I worked in Arizona. And I feel like one of my personal struggles always was boredom. If once I got something kind of figured out, I felt like, okay, done with this, on to the next. So that um, was kind of curbed with my moving habits a little bit. And then I ended up in Arizona and I had my, um, my two kids and that sort of forced me to settle down a little bit. And that's when I feel like I was in a role long enough to really where I felt like, oh, wow, now I can really see where I was blind in some areas that I didn't see before because I was moving around and focusing more on the startup kinds of things when you're new to a job or new to a setting. So that's when I started to feel a lot of that holy crap, like it seems like everybody else knows how to do this. And I'm not sure that I do. I also saw a lot of changes in that time um, in how our role as SLPs were evolving in the schools. So even when I first started in the district that Sarah and I worked in together, I was working in elementary as an SLP. And my very first um, assignment was full-time at a school. And I want to say I had maybe 60 to 65 students. And I always call them the ballerina spins. Like, I feel like at a point, about a month into that assignment, I was just spinning. And I am not one, like, I feel like I work through those kind of things because I'm just like, this just must be how everyone feels and I'm just going to keep doing it. And I had one of our lead SLPs came out. She goes, oh no, this is way too many kids. And here, I'm gonna help you organize your files and we're going to give you an assistant three days a week with a caseload of 65. And that was in about 2004.
2: Right, unheard of. Wow.
1: So think forward now to 2020 where I feel like oh. minimum caseloads are about 65. They want you to just figure it out. The paperwork requirements have evolved in that time too as far as, you know, I, I'm sure it's driven a lot by legal purposes too where these districts are being held accountable by families, by attorneys, by state and federal laws by um, even when they do the audits of things that are happening within a district. And so they just kind of push that on to the SLP. And I don't, there's some sort of disconnect there where they don't see it as anything other than just kind of figure it out. And so, you know, we being great SLPs and really trying to just figure it out, I think do so until we get to that point of, it's like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And now I've hit a wall and um, I'm out. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. Yes. So, yes. That, so there's no leeway of like, wait a minute, this is not feeling right. What can I do? It just, it, I don't think there's a lot of in between. And I feel like that's what I saw too when I transitioned into my role as a lead SLP is I saw a lot of different personality types and with a lot of varied degree of experience as speech pathologist and everyone was kind of experience, experiencing the same thing. And it manifested maybe a little bit differently in different people, but it still was this universal, you know, issue within our field. Yeah. Yeah, that
0: is so, so true. And for me, I always say that the schools are the setting that broke me because yes. it was like, it was kind of like you said, I had like early on, I bounced around to a few different settings um, for like various reasons, like just, like, jobs not being there anymore or, you know, just wanting a change, whatever it might be. Um, and stress was building. But the schools were, there was nothing specific that happened where it was, like, one day something, you know, major happened that I was, like, all right, I'm out. I quit. It was just this, like, slow and steady buildup of, like, constant stress from being there and not knowing what to do. Um, and I had, like, no idea like tools or resources or things like that and it was kind of like um sarah i think you mentioned it like you start out and you're kind of like you know oh gosh i know i know what i'm supposed to do but did i miss this piece in grad school where they like tell you exactly what to do because i'm not sure what i'm doing so yeah i think i think there's a lot of us that are there but then we don't tell each other about it until after it's like we're out and years later we're like well here's what was going on with me um
1: well, and sadly, that expression—the straw that broke the camel's back—you get to a point where that's—it's not any one major thing that makes you quit. It's that all of these things have collectively become so major that something as li- like I can remember one year sitting in my office, and I was always very um, much you tell me how you want me to do it, and I'll do it. And I don't have time to go back and do stuff. It's hard enough to get it done the first time. And I had let these reports and IEPs sit on my desk. But one day I was like, okay, I'm clearing this off, feeling good about this. I'm updating our, our system online. And we had to send in you know, hard copies to the district. And so say maybe all of this was due in back in November and I got around to it in January. Well, when I sent it in, they had told me some process had changed and I had to go back and redo. It was probably like 10 kids that I had sent in. And I literally started crying and the person that I was talking to in records didn't understand it. She's like, but all you have to do is this. And I was like, but I have to do this. I don't have time to do this. I was so almost like kind of proud of myself for checking that off my list of, I actually got this done. And now you're telling me to go back that it wasn't right. And so it was, it's little things like that where it's like, it might not be a big deal to somebody else, but because you've had all of these things happen, that it becomes the straw that broke the camel's back where you're like, no, this is just not working anymore.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And I think in every setting I've been in, that has happened. Like that where you just, there's so many things going on and so many different pieces. Um, and it's just in the schools, I think it's constantly changing. And like you said, having 60 kids in a caseload is is totally normal. Um, I think that's what I had was about 60. And I was like, okay, cool. This is a small caseload. This is like an average size. I'm not one of those people with a huge, huge caseload. And then you get in there and you're like, wait, 60 people. That's a lot of like mm-hmm. schedules and names and groups. And yeah.
2: yeah and so, it was just the therapy that we had to do with 60 students. You know, then, okay, cool. I can make that work. But it's, it's everything else on top of it. And guaranteed it's, you know, at least 45 different types of cases you're seeing. You know, you might have 15 of those kids have articulation or similar things, but then you're going to have the fluency and the expressive and the receptive language and the social, students with complex AAC. needs and the social. So it was like we had to know something about everything for all of those different students and then the paperwork and the meetings. And, and people calling
1: you an expert, which then implies that you should know everything about all these things. Right, right. So it's tricky, It is, but with this all being said, I still freaking love the schools. Loved the schools too. I've worked in a couple of different settings. I've worked home health, I've worked private practice, I've worked in the schools, always pediatrics in my life. But I did feel like that connection, that the the piece outside of like the management, I always loved the kids. I thought they were great. Um, And I loved working with a staff, especially when I got to that point in my career where I was settled. And I actually got to know people yes, and I could the see team. the team, not just the team, the team work that we did yeah. for kids and cases and even the community. I didn't always see that um, when I was bouncing around in other placements. And I definitely didn't. I had some disconnect when I was working in different settings because it was very dependent on like, even if you think of a clinic, I had some parents that just wanted to sit in the waiting room because it was their 50 minute block in the day where they could, just do that and just be, have not, nobody needing anything from them. So they took that as, you know, this is your therapy time. I'm going to sit out here. And um, so I totally respect that. As a parent, I understand how that happens. But then on the flip side, I felt like what I was doing with those kind of sessions was just so decontextualized because there wasn't, you know, I wasn't working with a caregiver who was with them all week versus in the schools. You're working within this team framework where everybody has the same end, game in mind, where they're all looking at curriculum and access to curriculum and moving this kid forward. And we have so much time with them that I, I do see the struggles in the setting. I still think it's probably the most authentic setting you can work with a kid and do so much. Yeah.
2: Well, I think that's time. that's why we did this. So getting back to your question about how, how <laughs> you know, got SLP toolkit going, I think it is because we genuinely love the school setting and the population that we worked with. And so instead of quitting my job, which I literally almost did about 15 times, it was what can we do to solve the issues that we're having? Well, first let's recognize what they are. Here's all of the problems, you know, am I the only one? Oh, I'm not, oh, other people have issues with this too. Okay, so like, what's a better way to do it? Um, and so that's when Lisa and I met and just kind of talked about, hey, wouldn't this be cool? And, you know, maybe if progress reports wouldn't be so painful, and take two weeks to do. If we had a cooler um, test, like a teacher does, to be able to assess their progress at the end of each grading period, and, and hey, what about this? And and so it was those conversations of we're not going to be able to change the amount of paperwork we have to do. We're never we're, we're probably never going to get anyone to understand that our caseloads are too high. So what are those things like they said on the front end that we can do to help just take away any of the burden that we're feeling, that the pressures with you know, insecurity and and feeling like an imposter. Um, you know, how can we give SLPs confidence oh. and tools to, to make this job more manageable so that we don't all quit?
1: That. Well, it is a thing too. I think Sarah and I both have a mindset where we definitely vent. I mean, even to this day, you, you <laughs> have to be girlfriends or spouses or coworkers. You're venting because shit happens in your life. Right. But you also, I think both of us are more problem- um, solving oriented where it's like this can be an issue, and I will spend a moment to acknowledge these feelings and identify the problem. But we were, are also pretty solution oriented where we're like, All right, well, I can't change this. This is what I can change. So let's do this. And that is, you know, like you said, how SLP Toolkit came to life because it was something that we saw we couldn't change. So what can we do? So we just spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. <laughs> <all this> <laughs> that we that need. Great
0: idea. <laughs> I love. I love so much about that. But I love especially how you said like there are things that you can't change. They're not going to change, even though we want them to change. And so, what can we do about it? with it being that way. Because that's what I always talk about too. Like you can't change the things that are stressing us out. Like, yes, someday, hopefully our paperwork will be better or we'll have, um, you know, some new standards or something that make it so we don't have so many people on our caseload and so many students. But even if we know that's going to change, it's going to take like years for that to happen. So what, you know, how do we live with that and still live with it. You know, like how do we work through it? So I love that that's where SLP toolkit came from. Because yeah. it's perfect. Like, yeah, the stress is going to be there. And if it was gone, something else is going to take its place and stress us out. I right. said, so, Oh, I love that so much. So when you say that you were going to quit and then you didn't quit, Like, what is it that kept you guys from like, I mean, you eventually had SLP Toolkit come out, but like what kept you from not quitting and not just saying like, all right, I'm done with this and like walking away?
1: I don't think I ever got to the point of wanting to quit. And I think for me personally, a big part of that was um, how I've already mentioned that early in my career, I changed settings and roles a lot. So that kept me from, it was almost like I I wasn't quitting the field. It was just like, hey, I want to go explore California, or I want to go live in the Caribbean for a year or whatever it was. So that kept me where I wasn't quitting. I just felt like I was ex- doing new experiences. I will say that once I got, you know, when I moved to Arizona and started full-time in a district here, which is the, again, the same one that Sarah and I met and, and worked together in, that that was the first time I had seen a group of kids go kindergarten through sixth grade. And so I did get to the point where I loved that because I loved the to see how kids really evolved over time and what that looked like and even how disorders present over time. And, um, you know, that was interesting. I love the connections with the staff you build at that point and with the students and their families. But I was at the end of that. um, that is when I took my lead role because I think I identified for myself and my principal, we talked about it too, where she's like, I feel like you need to be more challenged. Like you've done what you've done here. Like you need to do something else. So there was an opportunity for me to step into that role of lead SLP, which I completely grew from that experience too, because again, it went from where I saw the district as just my school and my kids and my issues to where I could open up my lens to what was going on in the whole district and actually felt like I could be that liaison between how do directors think versus I already know how SLPs think and how to do that bridge. So I felt like that was a great experience for me if I would not have gotten that role, I think I probably would have had to change settings. And it doesn't even mean different districts. We had a large district with, you know, about what, 30, 40 schools. So I think I probably would have done something like go to high school before I quit. but did you really seriously, Sarah, did you consider like you wanted to leave the field of speech pathology?
2: You were my lead. Don't you remember? I tried to send you a letter of resignation like three times and you wouldn't
1: accept it. You wanted to quit. But, you, <laughs> but with, I, I, I guess maybe I don't know if I understood, too. Do, do you mean like quit the field entirely? Like you would have quit the field entirely? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Wow, I told you I was gonna start a blog for <laughs> for crafting and sewing.
0: I was gonna ask like, what was your what was your like, all right, I'm leaving and this is what I'm gonna do? Like
2: you know, it was it was a lot of things. I think for one, um I I took so much of what I was doing home with me every night and just stressed about it to the point of, you know, it, it's it's one thing when you're um you know, feeling successful, that you're like making a real difference. um, I think then you can kind of handle maybe the other parts of your job that you don't love so much. But I just remember feeling like I'm not killing it with paperwork. I don't even know if I'm you know, really making that big of a difference in any of my students' lives, you know, I'm just drowning and that that feeling of survival. And then I'm taking that home with me every day to my own family. And so it just, it got to the point where it just seems so unhealthy. Now, why I didn't quit though, is because I do genuinely love the kids I was working with. Um, And and actually, that could have been part of the problem. I also took that home every day. I worried about those kids every single day. I think, like, I would laugh sometimes. Lisa would used to tease me about, wow, you're just making friends everywhere you go. Because (laughs) I would advocate for those kids. And I would just fight for whatever those kids needed because I just cared so, so much about them. And could see the ways that as a team, if we did certain things, we could really make significant improvements in their lives. And so
1: if not everyone was on board, that was a super hard struggle for you. It was really, really hard for me. And you took emotional stuff home a All, lot. A lot.
2: A lot. Of, the last couple of years, a lot of tears, a lot of crying, I mean, from me. Um,
1: you were also starting a business though. Yeah. I think, and that's part of like where we ultimately ended up leaving. And we kind of phased ourselves out when we started our business. We Still worked full time that first year. I think you actually maybe took a Friday off. Second and I year, yeah, I went down to four super days. jealous of that. Yeah. I was still working full time. Yeah, and then um, you got Fridays off, and then we both went to part time, like what a day or two a week, and then we went to like mentoring only. And I would say, like right now, it's it, it's impossible for us to do anything other than this, and we have another business bright ideas, yeah. which you know sponsors continuing education. So. Um, It was a slow roll of getting us out. But that was also, you know, thinking of burnout, it got to the point with both of us where we had always people influencing us from a business perspective where they would say things like, you know, you can't fully put your focus and attention into this business unless you are full time. And Sarah and I would be like, well, that's great. Are you paying our rent and our health insurance and our bills and car payments and whatever? And so it had to feel right. And I know by the time that we got to the point, it, it was true burnout. We were working all day at school. We would meet at least three times a week at night to work together on business stuff and independently be working weekends, other nights of, of the week. And it just got to the point where it was like, okay, something's got to give. I'm either going to literally drop dead tomorrow from stress or you know, we, we do have to kind of release some of this.
2: Yeah. And I, but I will say I did struggle with that idea of not working in the schools anymore. And I think that came from knowing that it's, it's difficult to get um, speech therapists in the school setting. Duh, because it is so freaking challenging and hard. And so I kind of felt bad. Like I was abandoning my students um, and you know, who else is going to be out there fighting for them and advocating for them. But when, when we really sat back and thought about the difference we could make on a much bigger scale Then it was just, it was a far easier decision. And so I miss working with the kids so much. But, you know, the fact that we can, we are out here now and we're hopefully able to support and give resources to. 75,000 school based SLPs in just the United States alone, then then, you know that I'm okay with that. Now, the goal being, I hope someday this business runs itself or somebody else runs it and I can get myself back in in the school setting. I
1: I always said I want to volunteer because I don't want any of the paperwork. Yeah, (laughs) it's like I want to to go back to college, but I just want to audit because (laughs) I don't want to do any assignments or take any tests. And that's how I feel about if we're really in a position where the business ran itself. I'd love to go volunteer mm-hmm. and be like, a, you know, working in some special ed classrooms and just have fun with it. No, I know. I do miss the kids so much.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the part to have fun with it, you know, getting back yeah. to to having fun. And like you said, because I experienced this too. Like I finally felt connected when I came back into the field, I worked in teletherapy, but it was with schools. It was virtual schools, but they were still schools. So I was with like students and families for like three school years. And then I moved to like the admin side of things and kind of like overseeing therapists. And, and it was like, I did I was like well yeah I mean I want to do this but then also like can we still just like can I still see you like and that's a no you can't just just log in and like visit with students for half an hour that's not allowed um but it was that same thing like but you know you're really going to miss and you want to make sure they're getting everything they need and it was the same like in the broader picture how are we still helping but helping the therapists now as well. So instead of, you know, just helping the students, we're helping the therapists that then help the students and and can reach even more people. Um, I've just always loved that way of thinking
2: about it too. But yeah,
0: yeah. and then getting back to the fun eventually.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, it really has just become a mission. We are constantly thinking about, I mean, we launched our software back in 2015 and there's and 2016. 15.
1: We started our business in 15, we yeah. launched in January. So
2: it's been a few years, but we're still to this day, it's evolving and we're adding new features and we're always thinking about ways we can, you know, fix things or change things or, you know, wouldn't this be cool? And And so, you know, that's just kind of the path we're on right now. Um, just out on a mission to try to eliminate some of the burden? Because again, we need school-based SLPs. Please don't quit your jobs.
0: I know, right? <laughs> Even, though we, <laughs> Even though we did, but we want everyone to stay there. But what made you eventually, like, what gave you the idea to, to do this though, to do SLP toolkit? Like, how did... You know, I I mean, I know you guys were like trying to figure it all out on your own, like organizing and getting things better and not having to plan as much and all of these things. But like, where did this come from? Because this is such a huge thing. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. So it really started with, um, within our district, we had a group of individuals across the district, but Sarah was a part of this um, committee too, I believe, or maybe not until the next year. But anyways, um, but we were always working on things collectively for our group that might benefit you know our group as a whole. So we, everybody, you know, we get feedback from people and people were saying progress reports are so horrible. And so um, I had put out an all call to see if anybody wanted to work separate from this committee, just almost like a volunteer driven thing of um, developing some tests uh, to help try to make progress monitoring easier. And Sarah was the only one that responded. <laughs> And so <laughs> that right there is pretty telling. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and, and
2: there's 150 SLPs in our district. Right. Oh,
1: my so god. So it worked where we met in probably like November to just sort of talk about like things that would, would be easier. But really, it was one of those things like, hey, you know, we're both super busy. How about you do this? I'll do this. And we'll meet again in January. And, um, you know, we'll have had so much stuff done by then. And then we'll just kind of reconvene and see what we need to do. Well, we met in January. Neither of us had done anything, right? Because <laughs> life, yeah. work, you know, there's Christmas no, vacation. There's no volunteering. Like that was just real cute that we thought that we could do that as right. part of our regular jobs. And I think that was where you know we started really talking. I feel like at that second meeting where we both kind of talk about how we felt this energy shift because we it became a. It started with a conversation of a project that needed to be done. It evolved into dreams really yeah like what in a perfect world would we want to see happen and then you just we just felt that we were on this path immediately at that time and we figured out that there was really no way to do this on the scale that we wanted to do it as part of a school-based job on a volunteer basis that was never going to get done Ever, anyway. Well, and it was
2: really important to us that it was technology. We really wanted to use technology to make it happen. I mean, we could have just created a series of tests and made them PDFs and have people print things out. Um, but I, I think it was that idea of now this is, this is an app. Like this is actually needs to be software. Um, which again, even that in and of itself, we have no background in, in software or technology um, in education. In and of itself, technology is way behind the times. So you know why we thought any of those things. And so it came to that realization, like this idea is coming to us. It needs to be born. This needs to happen. Like why it's us doing it, I don't know. There have been hundreds of SLPs or thousands even who have also thought this same thought um, and so we were like, we're doing it, we're, we're going to do it. And so it, it became, okay, it's, it's not going to be a school project. This is going to be a business. Let's, let's figure out what this looks like. Let's meet, make sure we meet outside of work so that, you know, nobody can ever, you know, claim that it was, you know, the district had ownership of it. And so Lisa put it on the calendar. We're going to start meeting every Friday afternoon after work. And I just prayed that first Friday when I got home, she did not show up <laughs> because I was exhausted and who the hell had this stupid idea to started business after a full week of work and she did show up and she showed up every single Friday. And so for that, what, few months after that, we really just started to map out what this looked like. And it evolved as we started coming up with the plan. Like, okay, progress monitoring is super cool and I think it's going to help with progress reports, but how do we even know what goals we want to write for students? There needs to be a way to assess a student. And then crap, I'm not even great at writing specific goals. Is there a better way to write goals? And, and so the project just kind of evolved over time. And, and, and everything that happened, happened the way it was supposed to be. Every person who came into our life after that. Um, and so those are those moments where you just like, we literally, I think- we Well, had, we didn't even know
1: each other really. No. Which is fascinating unto itself that, you know, now she's like my sister from another mister and my partner and, you know, on this journey. But like, even that could have been disastrous. Right. Like that if we would have, these are big things that we're doing. And if you have personality conflicts, that can be an issue. I think of two, we were super naive going into this, but but also both of us tend to be crazy optimistic and like, why can't stuff happen? Like, let's just figure if if we don't know how we'll figure out how, and if, you know, this makes sense for what we need to do, let's figure out how to do that. And I think that that's partly the barrier that people run into. It's even how you said that very first time I had a lot of ideas even prior to this of things where I'm like, this would be really cool that they just kind of stopped there. They fell flat. Um, versus I felt like the shift with this is that we did have each other. She's really strong in areas where I'm not. And I think vice versa, we balance each other out and really did, as you said, bring this to life, which is the the hard part. But even I think of technology, we thought at first, oh, it can't be that expensive to like build, we'll build a little app, like five grand, maybe right, exactly. was a lot of money. But we could probably, you know, between credit cards or whatever right. pull yeah, together. Because
2: let me preface, we're not heiresses and <laughs> I have
1: nothing in my savings account. Right. So. Your
0: school, your school <laughs> SLPs. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. well, and I can do it. I remember saying like, I don't have cash, but I have great credit. Right? Like, you know, I, I paid my bills on time. I had credit cards. So it really was once we decided to do it, there is a point where you have to truly make that leap of faith where it's not just like, oh, it'd be great if we could, but what if we get funding? And somebody explained it once to me that makes so much sense now where it was like, if you're not willing to put any money into this, why do you think somebody else would be like, why would your first thought be let, let me have somebody else give me money let for me this an when I haven't an idea. even right. scraped together anything to try to bring this idea to life. And I go, well, that does make a lot of sense when you say it out loud like that,
0: <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I've been there. I've been with the same same type of thoughts where you're like, wait, but is there a way to do this for free? Right. And then it's like, no. Finally, yeah. you get to the point where you're like, no, I, I really need to just like make this a real thing. By yeah.
1: And we did struggle better. with, I think in the beginning, there were people that li- literally wrote to us. And we see it sometimes even with professional development courses or whatever, that people think that it should be free, that this is a resource that is developed and it should just be free. And I, I don't know if that is... Um, mentality that comes out of our education model. As far as when we're working on professional resources, we're used to having the tools that we need and not having to pay for it. Yet I will pay money for my Netflix and for my, you know, my stuff that are personal to me. But um, it is that kind of struggle where it's, you know, we definitely never want to price people out of the product because that's literally, I think in the five years, almost five years since we launched, We've done one slight increase in price, yeah. but it's very important to us to make it. We want it accessible, but it also is technology is crazy expensive. Right. Yeah. To maintain. And always and develop. Yeah. Well,
0: so for those that may not be as familiar with SLP Toolkit, I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about it a little where they may have an idea, but what exactly. Does the app do, especially for helping SLPs kind of manage some of that stress around all of the tasks and things they have to do for their job in the schools?
2: There's kind of the four main features um, of the app. And like I said, it started with that progress monitoring. So in the app, there are built in what we call criterion reference tests um, and rubrics. And so the idea being that you would administer one of those built-in assessments or rubrics at the beginning of an IEP period or treatment plan period to get your baseline. And then you readminister that same test every grading period to determine what progress is. And so rather than the old way of doing things, which is I take my data during the sessions at the end of a grading period, I kind of calculate it and average it out over time. And that's what I use to report on a progress report. Instead, you're using these progress monitoring tools as what you're reporting on progress. And so what that does is one, eliminates that kind of pressure of, of having enough data at the end of a, a grading period to confidently report progress. Um, but two, it's actually more consistent and, and um, uh, accurate because you're using the same stimulus items. And so it's, it's not factoring in all of those other variables that happen with data we're taking in a session. And so that was kind of the, the main feature that that originated with Toolkit. Um, And then that led us to this idea of cool, now I I have a good way of doing progress reports, um, but I'm at the annual IEP and I have no idea what goals to even give this student. Um, And so that's where we came up with a series of present level assessments. And those are informal screening measures you would use at the time you're developing the IEP to determine students' communication strengths and needs. And so you administer this assessment, they're based on grade levels and or um, language skills. areas of need, like fluency, voice, functional communication. Um, and so you administer this assessment at the end of it. It literally tells you here's their strengths and here's their needs, which you can then go put in the present level section of an IEP. And Perfect. so then based on that, then what do, what do we do next, Lisa? Gold Bank.
1: Okay. And then, um, so the Goal Bank, even we always joke that we created that specifically for Sarah. Yep. Because um, as SLPs, that is one of the one things that we don't always think about how greatly it impacts our data collection, that if I write it, write a vague goal or a mega goal, which is what we call those goals that have about 20 skills that you're trying to assess, um, it makes it really difficult to hone in your data collection. And so we did a Goal Bank that was uh, centered around that idea of smart goals, where what are the you know specific, measurable, attainable, reachable, time based, time based. I am not so much. Smart. Um, so, anyways, it's drop downs. Where I think the biggest thing for me that sort of the aha for me writing goals is take out all the flowery language what is the the skill when i'm thinking about sitting down in a therapy session for a student that my goal should be that skill that i'm looking at as far as what's my plus what's my minus or what am i writing notes about and that's different i think where people get tripped up is they they tend to think of the kid as a whole in that present level section where you're talking about their needs and that can be more like kind of loosey-goosey where you're talking about just in general things But we don't have to incorporate that language into the goal. The goal needs to be really targeted. And so we have uh, the goal bank built in and then eventually we had been asked this early on. We launched with these as the core features and then we were asked about incorporating some way to track session data in real time with students. And it took us a minute to Launch that because we wanted to make sure that what we were doing made sense to a real live speech language pathologist sitting at a table with a group of students in front of them. And I didn't want, um, or, or we didn't want anything where it was okay. I'm going to jot some notes on paper and then go run and put it in SLP toolkit because that would be redundant. That wouldn't make sense. I mean, it would from the perspective of you could still run graphs and things from it, but we are it looking would take about time. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like to me, if I was doing that, I would probably just run and go put it in Medicaid billing software. Like I, I mm-hmm. don't know if I would need that step. So it it was designed from that perspective of a speech therapist sitting there with a group of kids needing to take real life or uh, live data with a real life you know student sitting in front of you, and um, so that feature was built in and, and is awesome, especially if you have to do Medicaid billing because there's a little, you can click a button. We like to think of it as like a magic button that it's a dollar sign, but it pulls out all of those notes for you and puts it on your clipboard on your device. And then you can just paste it right into um, your billing software. So I know That's the last thing when I was able to use this feature when I was working um, part-time and it took me literally five minutes to do my Medicaid billing for the entire day. Yeah,
0: That's amazing because that is definitely the thing that, I think everyone stresses about and then just puts off and puts off and puts off. I mean, I did that. I would just have like stacks of like notepads, like, okay, where's the ones for these sessions that I'm building on these days. And, and I would always find it all, but it definitely took way more time. And then it was like, I
2: didn't always find it Um, all. Um, I think on that day we did this and let me make up some data real quick.
1: I'd be like, um, Jenga. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Bill for the day. <laughs> Bill for the day. because <laughs> yeah, I would but always I, wait months to do it, and I didn't always have great like methods of organizing my data. So, no, there was definitely some pulling some stuff out of thin air. It's
0: it's crazy the things that I don't know that we have to do. But I mean, right. this this would be like the perfect thing for any person. Like as soon as they graduate and then head to the schools, or like just switch you know switch settings. um, from wherever they're going and head into the school. It's like, everyone should be like, and this is what you need to take with you to survive.
2: Well, and it is one of those things that, you know, we actually didn't even intend for this to happen, but we had universities were starting to use it as a teaching tool for grad students. And I was like, that's That's amazing. Yeah, I know. it actually, was like a super cool moment because I thought it is true. This is exactly what I wished I would have had in grad school and then, and, and definitely in the beginning of my career, Um, because I I do think it gives it, 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 the idea was to streamline best practice. Like these are the things we need in order to really confidently write individualized treatment plans. Um, and it just really helps to kind of spell that out for you.
1: Well, and it's tangible. It's not theoretical, which I think as a new therapist, that's what's so great because you may not even know how to get a system together because you don't have enough experience. Right. And then for experienced SLPs, I think where it's so awesome is that Even if you've had systems over the years, they're not usually, we're always like thinking, if not within the same school year, at least school year to school year, how can I change things? And so, especially when it comes to writing IEPs, we all across the country as speech therapists have a very set way of doing evaluations. So, if I said, okay, Jesse, here's a kid, he's 10 years old and suspected receptive and language or expressive language difficulties. Test him, what would you do? I would grab the self. I was going so to grab the self. You probably <laughs> do a language sample, maybe a classroom observation if you had time. And, um, you know, there are set things that we would do. And it, I would probably do about the same thing that you would do. That's very different when it comes to writing IEPs. Everybody okay. has blanks to fill in. So we all have to have demographic information and we all have to have present levels of performance, and we all have to have goals and service times. So those fields are constant, but the way that we collect our information to put into those fields is what's so variable. And I think that's what gets people tripped up, where even if you think about at the beginning of the school year, when a kid transferred onto your campus and their IEP was due the next week, and you're like, oh crap, I need to evaluate him. I can't, I can't write an IEP. I don't even know him. I don't even know him, right. Versus really what we're saying is we don't have a systematic way to get data on that student. And so that's what I feel like toolkit is. It's not replacing you. It's not replacing your clinical judgment. It's really scaffolding your thinking. So in moments like that, it gives me a process of, okay, this kid is here. I have an IEP due next week. I'm going to give a present level assessment so I can get a good idea of strengths and needs for right now. I'm going to do some baseline testing with some of those criterion reference tests. I might use the goal bank to help me develop some goals if I need help, you know, writing really measurable goals and boom, I'm done. I'm not stressed. I don't have to put it off because I know exactly the system. So I just have to find the time still to do it, but I don't have to stress about how am I going to write it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's so true. And one of the things like when you're new and you're or I mean even when you're not new sometimes you're just like I don't know what I'm doing yet but you're going to be stressed out when something like that happens and then when you're stressed like your brain does not let you problem solve you're frozen. the way that you would normally Yeah, yeah you, you are like and it's it's like you know if a friend came to you and was like hey I'm having this problem blah 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 you'd be like oh all you need to do is this this and this but when it happens to you your brain's just like well eh, too bad so i mean that it would just like having that makes it where it's like, all right, I'm super stressed. I don't know what to do, but I know I have this and this will help me. Like you don't have yeah. to problem solve your way out of it when
2: you yeah, can't problem exactly solve right. it.
0: That's awesome. That is, uh, that is, it's amazing. And such, I mean, that is like such a stress reliever because then once you solve the problem, the stress goes away. Yeah. You know, or, you know, lessens a bit. If you
1: got to go on your face, you worry, stress it Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah right. <laughs> It's, very, very it's not even the stress of watching to get that IEP written, but now I've got to go show up in front of this team of people with the most important people being that student and those parents. And I've got to go try and talk to them about my ideas of what goals to, and things I want to work on with this kid. But I don't actually feel that good about the the information I collected. But you're the expert. But I'm so the expert. Should. So I got to go pull this out of thin air and try to sound confident, but I'm actually just, I'm not. And so that that's the kind of stress I was talking about where I just, I took that home with me every day and just felt like, I was not doing right by those students, you know? And so, if this can help you kind of eliminate some of that too, where you can walk into those meetings, feel super confident, here's the data you have, then you've just eliminated another piece of stress that you do not need.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love that universities, like you said, have started using this type of thing. I've always said that when I was in grad school, I mean, I don't remember ever, I mean, I know they like, you know, we were taught how to do goals and that type of thing, but it was so theoretical. It was, you know, there was not like, here's this student with this IEP, create it. And and then in clinicals, I don't know if this was just my experience with my supervisors that were all really wonderful, but they were all really nice. So when it got to the nitty gritty stuff... Like, they would show me and let me do the therapy and help me out with it. And, and, you know, I could get involved with that. But when it came to the stuff that was like, okay, now I'm going to do my Medicaid billing or now I'm going to do this like crazy extra report for something, they would just say, like, hey, you've done a great job today. I've just got some crazy paperwork I got to do to finish up. Why don't you call it a day and go? So I never got to see a lot of the crazy stuff. I always heard, yeah, everything has a lot of paperwork, but I was like, yeah, but it's paperwork. Paperwork is great. And then you get there and it's just so much stuff to do. Or even the time of internships.
1: You know, our interns, they could only work like, I think it was six hour days. So they're not coming before and after school usually, or I can't remember the time, but it was always within the times where it is, like you said, therapy-based. So yes. they're not sitting through a ton of meetings. They aren't thinking about all of the the management of the role. It really is targeted on the therapy strategies. So that's a really super interesting yeah. point that we're well, not being actually, prepared to, yeah. to assume this.
0: Yeah. It's like we learn the therapy. So we can be the therapist. But then there's that whole management administrator role to everything that we don't always... Uh, get to see or or do. We just know that it's there. And it's kind of like, oh, well, that can't be that bad. Right. <laughs> and then, and, and then not, it is. I mean, <laughs>
1: we're going to this profession for the people and the therapy, not for the organization and the paperwork. And so it's not an area of strength intuitively for many people that even if we're good at, you know, I think of in grad school, you have to be great with deadlines and whatever. I still was pretty good with deadlines. You give me a deadline and I would get done whatever needed to get done. But sometimes it was pushing it not sometimes most of the time it was pushing it right to the last possible minute and even I know at one point our district said that they wanted IEPs written what was it a month in advance like a draft to go home and I was weeks, like well
2: that's
1: yeah. that's cute yeah I guess because the parents should have a draft to look so it's not just a spew at them in the IEP meeting all of the things about their child it makes sense for the parents to yeah and digest it and then come in and make it more like question-based like here what did you think about the draft what are your thoughts what should we change what else should we discuss that actually is an ideal IEP meeting but when you're in the thick of a school year it's just those things that are great in theory often do not get practiced yeah yeah
0: it's so true so true um yeah because I think as a parent like if I ever needed an IEP for one of my children I would definitely want it way far ahead. So I could, like you said, no, but yeah, as the SLP. It's just like, well, that's not going to (laughs) happen that. Yeah, totally. So you guys do a lot of other stuff too. You have a lot of other like fun things that kind of branch off from SLP toolkit. So what else (laughs) do you have coming up this summer? I feel like you have a lot of fun stuff going on. So, So tell me a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, and the idea always was kind of this like, you know, whole picture of the way we can support SLPs. And so a few years ago, we uh, joined up with our friend Marisha at SLP Now, um, and that thought, you know, wouldn't that be a cool idea if we put together this conference um, with some of our friends or, or just experts in the field um, and let's make it free because, you know, SLPs have to pay way too much money for continuing education. And most importantly, we want it to be super practical and relevant. So rather than this conference full of, you know, research studies and theory, let's get some real practical practicing SLPs in there to teach us, you know, all of these amazing things. And so that's where the idea for SLP Summit came from. And we, you know, we're like, you know, how do we even make this work? I think we had barely even, you know, it's not like we had you know, a, a very big um, following on social media or emails at that time. So, but we're just like, we're just going to throw this out there. And, you know, we've made some relationships with some cool people, maybe Jenna Rayburn or, <laughs> you know, some of these other big named SLPs who have a following, maybe they'll do it. And then we can help spread this word that we want to do this super cool conference. She did say yes. In fact, uh, Jen and Je- uh, Jen from Crazy Speech World and Jenna Felice. came on board and Felice from Dabbling and Hallie from Speech Time Fun. And so oh, we have- yeah, they all just said yes, and this was—they were doing this for free—and I, I was kind of surprised when they agreed to do it. Um, <laughs> and so we launched that first conference and had I think what twenty thousand people sign up or something. It was just something crazy. I remember the night before we're getting ready to go live, looking at that final list of signups and just thinking, "What wow, the yeah. hell did we do? <laughs> we're to pull this off." Um, And it it was just really, really amazing. And and of course all of the presenters were fantastic and and the response was really great because it was was super practical information you could take to your job the next day and implement. And so it's just kind of evolved from there. We actually are getting ready to have our eighth summit. We do it twice a year.
1: We've had some. We've had some great speakers. I mean, we've had people from Social Thinking. We've yeah. had, I think, of Sarah Ward, Sarah Ward, Nina Reardon. I mean, I could go on and on. Like people that. Again, this is all volunteer driven. Yeah. Where um, we have since gotten it. Um. We are now offering it through our sister company, Bright Ideas, which is an asha group provider. So in the early days, it was not offered for ASHA CEUs. Right. You were able to download the it certificate. Is now. But, yeah. um, but one of our awesome presenters coming up this summer is this lady named Jessie Andrix. Do you yes. know her? <laughs> so we're super excited well, about that. Yeah. It'll be the week of July 27th. So we will be um, posting more information. We're still in the process right now. Um, of getting courses registered with ASHA. It's a little bit of a paperwork process, but as soon as that's done, we'll start blasting um, more information out about the specifics of how to register, how to access it. And so that's one of the things. And then summer school too has been really fun this summer.
2: Yeah, well, our SLP Toolkit subscribers are in an eight week program right now, um, really focused on everything that they could do over the summer to get ready for the next school year. You know, so while they have some time and energy uh, to put to something. And so that we're in our third week of that. And, and it's got some new courses coming up um, from our friends like Shannon from Speechy Musings And from
1: Beautiful Speech yeah. Life, Chris Winger, The Speech Dude.
2: So they're all talking about lesson planning and giving you some ideas of, of therapy ideas for that first month back to school. So that's next. I, just, I
0: love that. I, I ask, love that you guys do it over the summer from like a SLP stress, like point of view. Right, It gives our need to be productive, like, it, it gives it something to do, you know, because I think <laughs> like a lot of people get where they just want the summer off, but usually that's because they're burnt out and they're like ignoring and like pretending like they don't have a job. They're just like, uh-huh. totally pretend like, that does not exist. But then like sometimes that stress like boils up during the summer because we are so used to being productive all the time and like pushing to be productive that then we start to like micromanage everything around us and we get like, you know, like irritable and stuff. So yep. I love that your subscribers have a school to go to, to learn and to put some yeah. of that somewhere. And then it just prepares them for the next year where they can look forward to it instead of dreading it.
2: Well, yeah, and because We really weren't going to do it because I had the exact same problem. <laughs> like, who the heck wants to even think about work? Like you want to not literally not think about it for two seconds. You want to sleep in, you want to watch Netflix, you want to sit by the pool and you want to just like chill Um, And so we really hope we're breaking it down in a very manageable way where it's just little ideas of things you can do. In fact, this week was called baby steps, like little things you can do to help make make next year less painful.
1: Well, and to be proactive, not reactive, do it when your brain is at rest. Like you said, how we get frozen when we're stressed. So do it when you're not stressed. Think about some things that will make you not as stressed next school year. And it's not like summer school is a full-time job. You yes. know, it's just mm-hmm. you know these little act- structured activities and assignments and things to do, and some continuing education to get you set up for success for next school year. Yeah, Love yeah.
2: That. So we'll wrap that up and then summit. And and I we are super excited to have your presentation um, because we are we're always thinking about um, those areas. Where we know from personal experience, maybe we didn't have enough information on. So you know, we always get the fluency and the apraxia and the and the articulation disorders that with tough sounds. Um, and so this one, we really wanted to think more big picture about as far as burnout and how everything else goes. And so when we had had that conversation with you about stress management and ways to handle that stress, we thought this will be a perfect conversation to have summit, right, and it's happening right before school starts again, um, and we're hoping it gives them the tools to really be able to manage that stress. I think that point you had made—I'll never forget in that podcast—was you know when we get to that point of burnout, it's almost too late. Like we missed all those things that we should have done to kind of help manage the stress before we got to that point. And so I'm, I'm excited for that conversation. I think it's going to be super powerful.
0: Oh, awesome, thank you. I'm so excited to be to be part of summit and to to reach out to all those SLPs that need it, because it is something we don't learn. I think there's very few grad programs that are starting to talk about it, and it's something that we all need to learn. We need to know it to to be able to survive in the field and and continue to actually like feel connected and love what we do. And yeah. I'm glad you guys are helping out with it too. I love it. So yeah. where can everyone find you um, to learn more about SLP Toolkit and SLP Summit?
2: So it, um, the, the software in and of itself is a web-based application. It's not something you download from like the Apple iTunes store. Um, and so you, you can go to slptoolkit.com and there you can sign up for the free version. You can use it as long as you want with up to five students. And so that gives you access to all the tools and and just see if it even helps and and you know is a good resource for you. Um, and then we have a blog on the same website where we blog about a variety of topics um, and then... We are on social media. I think the one that we're probably the most active on is Instagram, because that's where we get to have more fun and do ridiculous things. Um, it's been a little quiet right now. Nothing, Nothing's happening right now. But um, sometimes you get to see us roller skate around the office and
1: play with our hedgehog and... I took a vacation <laughs> once with Lisa Wilson. Yeah, because she missed me, so I she did. took a Wilson volleyball with the bloody handprint, put a blonde wig on it. <laughs> yeah, and I talked to it for a couple of weeks.
2: So <laughs> things like that on Instagram. Uh, so find us there, and that's just our handle is SLP Toolkit, um, and then we are on Facebook too as well. So yeah, come find us. We love we love this community, and we love uh, being able to chat with so many SLPs, and, and social media makes that really easy to do. So.
0: Well, awesome. Well, thank you both for, for being here today and talking about all of this and for sharing kind of your journey through your own SLP stress and how you, you know, you created this awesome tool for everyone else because of it and from it. So thank you so much for being here today. Are you ready to truly manage your stress reduce burnout and finally find more balance in your life, Well, the SLP Stress Management course is here to help you do just that. In this eight-week course, you'll take a deep dive into what stress is and why it affects SLPs so much, as well as learn practical stress management tools as you build a step-by-step system that works for your stress and your daily needs. You can check this out now at jesseandrix.com and I hope to see you in the course.